Solomon, in the book of Proverbs 22.6, instructs us to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Upper Room Media presents to you this seminar from the Parents' Education Course. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real blessing to be here. And I, I haven't visited the church before, so it's a um, it's really, really beautiful church. And thank you for the blessing of having me. Um, so I realise how old I am uh, by preparing this talk because um, I gave a talk similar to this many years ago uh, at St. Mark's when my kids were very little. And um, and then I was with my daughter in the car the other day, and I, I was like, oh, "What did I say that talk?" Like I, all my thoughts now are around managing teenagers, not managing little kids. So I pulled up the talk on upper room, and I listened to the whole thing with my daughter there. Big mistake. <laughs> Big mistake because they stop and go, "You don't do that." Oh, Abigail, you know, hey, you never did that. Oh, I know, Abigail, I'm trying. I'm trying. So that was lesson number one: don't, um, don't, you, don't, don't let your kids have access to something they can use against you. Um, so, um, I, I loved when my kids were young. I loved these spiritual interactions we had when the kids are young. It's such a an amazing time, and you should embrace it and enjoy having that, that spiritual relationship with your kids, it's a one-off. Because when they get older, everything changes. In a beautiful way, everything's different when they're older, but there's something so special when they're young. So, um, the, the first thing that I would say is that um, as a servant, um, when you serve Sunday school for many, many, many years, Sometimes you look back on your service and you see that your service was worthless because sometimes you look and you see most of the kids who stay in the church after they've left high school are the ones whom their parents prioritised Christ. It made you feel like as a servant actually you did nothing. If the parent prioritised Christ, then the kid was much more likely to stay in the church. And if the parents didn't prioritise Christ, no matter what you did as a servant, it's not like... But with human eyes, you, you didn't see that there was much change. What you do in the home is the most important thing for the spiritual life of the kids. Um, you know, there's a, a, an amazing servant at St. Mark's, I'm sure many of you would know her, and I had the pleasure of serving two of her sons at different stages. And um, every time you would see her, she'd grab you and say, Are you praying for my son? I'm so worried about his spiritual life. She had, like, she had angels. These were angel kids. Are you praying for it? Pray. Do matanias. Are you doing... Show me your knuckles, she used to say. Show me your knuckles. Are you doing matanias for my sons? That was her priority. 
That was her number one thing that she thought about all day, every day, was the salvation of her children. And so that's the first point for today. It could actually be the first and the last. We could even stop here. But um, if Christ and your kids knowing Christ has to be the number one priority for you more than anything else, if your kids knowing Christ is your number one priority, everything else will flow. You'll actually come to know everything else you need to do. You don't, there is, we don't need to give a talk. It will become natural to you. If every day you're thinking, I just want my kids to know Christ, I just want my kids to be saved, I just want them to have a prayer life, I just want them to know the saints, I just want them to be repentant, I want them to have the fruits of the Spirit. If that's all you're thinking, then it will happen. You will come to look and see and you will come to know what are the things that you need to do. And it's natural. If... Um, and as it is for many of us, if, if you say to yourself, I really want my kids to be academically strong, well, you'll just start to know what all the things you need to do. From a young age, I need to give them educational resources, and I'm going to come to know what those resources are, because I'm interested and I'm motivated. I'll ask people, I'll search. When I'm in shops, I'll see things. When I'm at people's houses, I'll get ideas and I'll teach. And then we'll do early learning and then I'll make sure I pick, you know, pick a good childcare that's got a learning program. And I'll watch these educational things. And then as soon as they can, I'll be teaching them how to read and letters. And, you know, I, I know a family, they had the periodic table this high off the ground. It was like when the kid was one. But anyway, the point being that, that, that when the fo their focus or priority is, is academia, what you should do flows naturally. When they're old enough, you're going to commit time and money and picking schools and you labour over which schools. And you're going to ask a million questions and do a lot of research and go to tutoring and invest time and money and effort and thought because it's a priority. So if Christ is a priority, then all the things you need to do actually will start to become very evident to you. Um, and as I said, we could probably just end the talk there. That's probably all you need to do. Make him a priority in your thinking for what you want for your child. The second point is that it can be really overwhelming if you start thinking to yourself, I really, I, I really want my kids to know Christ. I really want them to make good decisions when they're older. I really want them to be repentant. And when they get older, I want them to always choose Christ and not choose the world. That can be really overwhelming. How will I get my kid, when they're older, to choose Christ and not choose the world? When they go to, you know, old and they're making decisions about friends and when they're making decisions about clothing and making decisions about substances, substance abuse and drugs, how will they make good decisions? And it can become overwhelming. How can I ensure that my kid, when they get to that point, will make the right decision? How well can I ensure that they will choose Christ? We can't, actually, of course. And sometimes, no matter what you do, you know, 
we, we only put ourselves at the mercy of the Lord that he will protect our kids. But don't be overwhelmed. Actually, rather than think to yourself, how can I get my kid to know Christ? All you need to do is think, what do I need to do to know Christ more myself? And that's empowering. You have control over your own spiritual life by God's grace. So while you can't make your child love prayer, you can invest more of yourself in prayer and come to love prayer. While you can't force your child to love the Bible and God's Word, you can spend more time reading God's Word, loving it, and that will rub off on the kids. That will come through on the kids. You can't ensure that your kids will love the liturgy, but you can invest yourself and spend more effort and more time, attend more liturgies, um, concentrate more, understand it more, and over time that can have an influence on your kids. You know, Abuni Ub always used to say that if he felt, if you looked at his kids and he saw that there was something wrong, and I served some of them, there was oftentimes there was something wrong, he said he would look to himself and realise that he's doing something wrong in his life, and he would change it. So it can be quite distressing if you look to your kids and you see they're doing something wrong. You don't know what to do. You, you, you feel helpless. But actually... If you think to yourself, I just need to look at myself and work on myself, that's actually really empowering. You can do stuff yourself. And by God's grace, may his spirit then um, wash over our kids and then direct them and guide them and lead them. Um, So a classic example is the Bible. If you don't love the Bible... It's very hard to see how you're going to get your kids to love the Bible. It's, it, it, it's, almost, it's almost impossible. How can your kids really come to love the Bible through you if you don't have a relationship with your Bible? Um, but, as I said, don't be overwhelmed by that. that. There's something there for you to do. You don't need to worry about your kids loving the Bible. Just spend more time reading and learning and loving and dwelling in and finding things about the Bible, and then that will come through with your kids. Um, Before we get on to specifics, um, another kind of very general point is that despite everything you say about the Lord and about the spiritual relationship with, with Christ and about repentance and the Bible and prayer and the church, the kids, number one, will learn from your actions. And that's scary. Everything that you say and do, for every waking hour of your child, they are just absorbing it. The way you deal with your spouse, the way you deal with the kids, the way you speak to people on the phone, the way you talk about your colleagues at home, The way you deal with your neighbour, the way you deal with strangers in the street, the waiter or the waitress in the restaurant, 
the shop attendant, the way you deal with them, the grace with which you deal with them, the gentleness and the kindness or otherwise, the way you speak about people on the road in other cars. The kids are absorbing every single thing, the smallest things you can't imagine the kids would notice. They, it, 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 they notice and they dwell on it and they learn from it. I'll tell you the scariest story. Once, uh, so we used to, uh, when the kids were younger, they used to share a room and the girls used to share a room and, you know, before bed, we'd, you know, kneel down beside the bed, we'd pray and then they'd jump into bed. And then one night I said, oh girls, let's do something different tonight. Tonight, rather than pray out loud, I said to them, I want you to think about something that God has done for you, something really good, and close your eyes quietly in your heart. Give him thanks. So we closed our eyes and the girls were mumbling. And then I said, okay, now I want you to think of something that that you love about the Lord. And then I want you to praise him in your heart, just quietly. So we closed our eyes and... And then I said, uh, now I want you to think about something that you've done wrong in your day and just say sorry to God and ask him to forgive you. So we closed our eyes and mumbling. Then we said our father and we jumped into bed. Then I was walking out the door and I was just about to switch the light off and Abigail, who was four years old, said, Dad... I know something that you can say sorry for. And I said, oh, oh really, Abigail? Oh, really? What's that? And she said, oh, well, um, you can say sorry for that time you pushed mummy. I, I was halfway out the door and I stopped and came back in and I said, what? And she said, well, you can say sorry for that time when you were downstairs and you pushed mummy. I said to her, Abigail, what are you talking about? I've never pushed mummy. And she said, yeah, yeah, remember? You were in the kitchen, you were arguing and you pushed her. And by this stage, like, I'm thinking, what on earth is this girl talking about? And what is she telling her teachers at kindy? (laughs) Right? And I said, Abigail, I have never touched mummy in anger. What are you talking about? And she said, remember, we were downstairs and it was after dinner and mummy went to the sink to do the dishes and you pushed her and said, no, I'll do the dishes. I said, Abigail... That we weren't arguing, I'm helping mummy. And she was happy. And she said, oh. And then she jumped into bed. And afterwards, I was thinking, that didn't occur that night. That didn't occur that week. It occurred about two months earlier. So this four-year-old girl, for two months, has been thinking about how dad argued with mum and pushed her. And the first opportunity she had to bring it up 
she brought it up. And that made me think, what on earth are the things that I actually do wrong, what impact are they having on her? How careful we need to be. This doesn't mean yell at people but make sure the kids aren't around because they're going to see. They, your nature, your nature will come out. It means if you want your kids to know Christ, like we said, make it a priority for yourself to know Christ, to be repentant, to be soft, to be patient, long-suffering, gentle, generous, genuine, honest, and kind. Um, and that also goes for the, for the way we speak about the church. Don't ever let your kids hear you say a bad word about the church, about the church, about the servants, about the priests, about the bishop, about the pope. Don't ever undermine their um, concept of the sanctity and the beauty of the church. Okay. So, um, um, one last kind of very general comment, and then we'll just talk about a couple of um, specifics, and then, and then, you know, we'll be done and just open up for comment. Um, the role of parents. So, this is scary, you know. So, lots of theologians, they say that um, everything that God made on earth, he made to give us insight into the spiritual world, right? Every single thing on earth has been made so that we can look at it and then we can understand God more deeply uh, because we, we can see the physical and so that explains to us the spiritual. So the classic example is the fruit-bearing tree. Um, God gave us fruit-bearing trees so that he could say, you need to bear spiritual fruit. How could he say that if we never saw trees that had fruit? So he made trees that have fruit so that he could actually come and say to us, you need to bear fruit. It's not an afterthought. He didn't look around and go, oh, what, what, what is there here for me? To... So everything that he has made, he has made to give us insight into him and into the spiritual world. So what then about the role of the father? So the role of the father, by this line of thinking, is to give kids insight into the characteristics and attributes of the Father in Heaven. So scarily, fathers, when your kids look at you, if you have done a good job, God forgive me, if you have done a good job, your kids should see the characteristics of the Father in heaven, and they should then have an understanding of who the Father is in heaven because of looking at you. That's scary. That's really scary. Do you know, when I think of my dad, I think he did exactly that. He did exactly that. When I think of my dad, I think of love and patience and kindness and gentleness and always providing and never complaining and never thinking of himself and I see the characteristics of the father so again do you want your kids to know Christ you need to be Christ like 
You need to be Christ-like. That's who they're going to see. So this is not just all about fathers. Who does the mother represent? Spiritually. Yeah, the church. Mother represents the church. So the mother needs to be um, always embracing, always providing, always warm and tender, always caring for the, for the details. Not just providing, but also directing and guiding and leading upwards towards Christ. Always pure, always holy. Do you know, if the parents are constantly occupied by trivialities, then how can we expect our kids to do better? Do you know, um, I get shocked listening to people at work about the things they watch on TV. And then our TV is almost never on, but every now and again we might watch like a sporting, like we'll be watching Wimbledon or we'll be watching something where ads come on. And the ads that come on are for the, the shows that are currently being, being shown. And I'm in shock. I'm just in shock at what is on TV. God forbid that the parents of these kids talk about, watch and talk about this stuff. So as parents, as the father, you need to be displaying that characteristics and the attributes of the father in heaven. And as a mother, you need to be as the church to your children. And if you do that, then I think your kids will know Christ. Um... I said at the beginning that I really loved the time when the kids were young. Do you know when, when um, and you'll find this, when people finish pre-servants, um, they often get asked, what do you want to do or where do you want to serve? And I always have said and I've always served in high school. And in fact, in a lot of kids, when they get to the end of pre-servants, they say, oh, I want to serve in high school, year nine, year 10, year eight. You know, and then they get put in primary school. Oh, you gave him high school. Why'd you put me in primary school? And people think that it's some sort of a demotion to serve in primary school. Well, I would say that the most critical time for child spiritual development is not even primary, pre-primary. By the end of primary school, I think, if your kids have very little relationship with Christ, barely know him, barely have spiritual practices, then it will be a gargantuan task in high school to get them to meet Christ. Not impossible, of course not. God can do anything. He can save the right-hand thief. So he can save your kid in high school. But the task will be monstrous. The time to introduce the kids to Christ is when they're young. Really introduce them. What is there else that we wait for? As you guys know, um, if a child is born with um, sight impairment let's say, um, uh, some sort of visual impairment like cataracts or something similar to that, 
It's absolutely critical from the earliest possible time to allow light in for them to see if it's reversible because if you don't, the, 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 ox, the occipital part of the brain, the, the, the part of the brain that, um, uh, that processes light doesn't develop. And then even if in the future you can give them sight, they can't actually process it, they can't see. The same goes for hearing. They say that they do hearing tests on newborns so that if they detect a, a, a sensory loss, you can do something about it so that their hearing can actually develop. Do you know in adults, if someone's had no hearing and then as an adult they put a cochlear implant in and give them hearing, that, that invariably the, the, the person just says, turn it off, take it off. They can, they can never learn. You have to have that sensory input from a young age for the brain to develop. Um, we need to think about our kids in that way. From the earliest possible age, you want to absolutely immerse them in Christ. We don't say, let's, we want our kids to read, let's wait till year seven. And then we're going to teach them letters. We don't even wait till kindy. You guys will have your kid. There'll be two. And you'll be, have the book. A is for apple. B is for book. We all do it. We do it from two. What makes us think that we don't need to be teaching them spiritual things from a really young age? So, all I actually say from here is just a few really simple practical points. And we, Marianne and I, our approach was, from a young age, let's immerse them in Christ. It's the only time of their life you can do it. As they get older, you can't do it anymore. They have their own time, their own space, they, they make their own decisions. When they're young, you can absolutely immerse them. So, um, Bible reading. I told you before, you know, for me, I, I, I still, Marianne reads the Bible at night with the older kids. I still, I'm, I feel like I'm selfish that I keep the younger ones and I read with the younger ones every night. It's a special part of our night. It's an institution in our house. Bible reading at night before bed. It's such a special time. When they were younger, the punishment, if they were bad, we're not going to read the Bible tonight. No, Dad, no. You took too long. You didn't listen. I told you. No Bible. Right? Bible reading was a joy, and to this day, it's still a joy. Um, how can you do it? You might say, well, you know, the Bible, has 30, the, the Bible we have has got 30 stories. By the time we get to the end, well, then we read it twice. What are we going to do? It's like it's boring. How many times can you read Noah's Ark? So I say to you, um, there are a million Bibles and get all of them. Some of them you'll find are rubbish. You'll just not use them. That's okay. You know, we all buy rubbish from time to time. But you'll find that different kids' Bibles have different stories, different illustrations. Some of them, like this one here, is actually really beautiful. At the end of every Bible story, it has a prayer so that you can incorporate the story that you read into a prayer. And some of them have some practical tips, things to think about in your day, 
You know, and it's a prompt. We can do this ourselves, but it's a prompt. You give you prompt things to talk about with the kids. Um, we used to role play, you know. Oh, dad, dad, you know, let's do the walls of Jericho. Oh, okay, you know, we go. And we would role play, you know. Oh, you be Jesus and you be the woman at the well. And we would just bring the story to life. We would live the Bible. Um, I got on to Amazon twice, actually. Once I got on Amazon, ordered 12 Bibles. They all came. Another time I got on, I think I ordered about 25 Bibles. Any Bible I could find. You know? And, and yeah, as I said, some of them will be rubbish. And we all spend lots of money on rubbish. So if you buy a few Bibles, they end up being not worth it. You haven't lost much. And then some of these are amazing. Some of the Bibles... You know, um, go into extraordinary depth. When your kids are a little bit older, I'm sure you've all seen this Bible. When your kids are a little bit older, um, this is this has astonishing detail in it. Stories that you may well not know yourself, and they're in a kid's Bible. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story um, about the detail in some of these, these Bibles. I, I was, um, we, you know, the kids and I, we'd kind of critique Bibles, oh, it's a good Bible, it's not a good Bible. And once we were reading a Greek Orthodox one, and I thought it was really good because it had all these Greek, Orthodox, Greek Orthodox um icons in it, and I thought it'd be really good, and it wasn't good, unfortunately. But, um, but, but at the end of every story, we'd often go, oh, they didn't mention this, or they didn't say that, or... Oh, you know, they said that, that's not true. Or they've added that bit in. And we'd kind of like that. That's the way we use that Bible. And when we, one day we read the story of uh, King David, uh, of David uh, and Goliath, actually. So obviously that's in every Bible. We read that story. And um, at the end, uh, you know, David said, uh, what will the king do for the man who beats Goliath? Oh, he'll give him his daughter, you know. And, uh, and, then, and then I heard... My son said, he was, he was five, and he said, uh, oh, they didn't, they didn't mention the taxes. <laughs> I, said, I said, what? And he looked up and he goes, oh, well, well, they didn't say about the taxes. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, well the man who beats Goliath, he and his family will never pay taxes. And he says, what are taxes? <laughs> But it just let me, like, gave me some insight into how much they can absorb from their reading. He actually, that was actually because of COVID. During COVID, when we would watch the liturgy on, on TV, during the sermon, which wasn't for kids, he used to get this Bible and sit on the ground and read for half an hour. That, that's what he did in COVID during the liturgy. And so that he would just, we would say, no other books, you're allowed to read the Bible. And so he, he read it thoroughly. But it just gives you a sense of how much the kids can absorb. Um, I'm not going to really say anything else other than that, um, you know, so with, with immersion, you know, immerse them in Bible stories, immerse them in hymns and praise. When they're in the car... I would say never give devices if you can do it. If you can do it, no videos and no devices. Listen to him. So one of our favourite when the kids were growing up was Colin Buchanan. 
So Colin Buchanan, if, if you guys haven't heard a lot of his music, he is one of the most gifted Christian ministers that I have encountered. He has a ministry from the Lord to preach to children and he discharges that ministry with every ounce of energy he has and he is gifted. If you listen to a lot of his stuff, there is extraordinary depth in some of his songs. It blows me away. They sound childish and then after a while I listen to them and go, oh my goodness, like this is such a complex spiritual message. Clearly he is preaching to the parents and to the kids. It's beautiful the way he brings Bible verses to life. My kids memorizing Bible verses. You know, I remember we were in church one day and um, the, the Catholic epistles being read, and then the, the Abbey looks up and goes, That's James 1.17. I go, Oh, yeah. Abbey, you're right. Do you know when my daughter was in kindergarten, she taught me the books of the Old Testament because of Colin Buchanan's song. My kindy kid. And I go, oh, Abs, I can't, I can't remember the, the minor prophets. Oh, Dad. You know, and she'd go through them with me. Go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So they, you know, immerse them when you're in the car. You'll find the kids singing it around the house. How beautiful for the kids to hear their parents singing spiritual hymns. How beautiful for the parent to sing spiritual hymns. How beautiful. Like we said, if you love the Lord, all of that will just pour out onto your kids. Um, I've told many of you about um, Adventures in Odyssey. I couldn't actually find CDs. Who uses CDs these days, right? But funnily enough, there's a, yeah, we, we stumbled on this series um, by this group called Adventures in Odyssey. Um, um, it's actually really hard to download it online from Australia. It's very unusual. Although I haven't checked in the last year, but prior to that, you actually needed to buy a CD set and, and you had to be off Australian soil. I'm sure you guys are smarter than me about, you know, tricking a computer into where, what country you're in. But in any event, Adventures in Odyssey have a set of CDs, it's not, it's not that one, called the Bible Hall of Fame. It's a 12-CD set. Each CD is about an hour, so it's about 12 hours of Bible stories. 75% um, of it is unbelievable, and 25% of it is absolute garbage. It's very funny. There's, there's a real dichotomy of stories. So you'll, you'll work out really quickly what's good and what's not good. The good stuff is out of control. It's out of control quality Bible stories in depth. You know, the story of Joseph, 45 minutes. Remarkable. Moses, 45 minutes. This has St. Paul, six stories, each of them is about 10 minutes. An hour of kids' audio on St. Paul. It, it's amazing resource. So in the car, we'd listen to this. And we would listen and listen and listen and listen and listen and listen, and listen until the kids basically verbatim, they could just tell you almost any story. You know, you heard them doing play role, you know, from time to time. Um, 
All right, in the interest of time, I will say one last thing. Um, and that is the church life. So, um, uh, I, I think we have six and a half days at home, really critical that we do all these things, and then we half day Sunday at church, really critical that the kids partake of the full life of the church, of the church liturgical cycle and the church life and the church community life. Half a day a week at church is not enough and six and a half days at home without church is not enough. And unfortunately for a lot of families, getting to church on Sunday, they find, or getting to church on the weekend, they find really difficult. All I, all I say to parents is, yes, it's difficult. It's hard work getting the kids up and getting them ready and getting them to church and then sitting them there. You know, one of my kids, God forgive them, every single time they heard the gospel, they used to poo. <laughs> so I never heard a sermon for about three years, right? Because they'd finish the gospel and I'd be walking out of the church to change a nappy. It's hard work. Do you know... I, I used to, I used to, uh, you know, this is a confession, I used to hate Sunday mornings, right? It was the hardest morning of the week. I remember, I realised how bad it was when one day my alarm went off and I went, oh my goodness, it's Sunday morning and I was just clutching my head and then I thought, oh, no, it's not. It's Monday. And I leapt out of bed. It's Monday. And I thought, oh my goodness, what has happened to me? You know, like Sunday Coptic Church has become the cure for Monday-itis. You know? But that's what it was. It was hard work. But I say to all parents, do the hard yards early and you are investing in the rest of your life and the kid's life. Because you've got to do the hard yards at some point. Either you do it when they're really young and you establish a concrete habit, non-negotiable, what we do on Sunday is we go to church. Either you do it then or you're going to do it later. When they're older, then they're not wanting to go, dragging their feet, how about next week, I, I, I hate this, this, it's that. So there's a certain amount of pain you have to go through. Either you go through it early and you're done and dusted or you go through it late. Um, and, you know, it's great. I, I say to parents, if you can, you should be thinking that by the time your kid's two, they should be pretty close to having had Holy Communion 100 times. They should be pretty close. Hard work, you know, I know. Extraordinary hard work. But if you can do that, you will really have served your kids well. Um, I think I, I, will just, I will just stop there in the interest of time. Um, yeah, I think I will just stop there. There's a whole lot of other things, but uh, uh, it'll get too late. So, 
Um, thank you very much for having me, and our glory be to God forevermore. Any comments or any questions? It's a great question to point out. I, I don't know if I have the answer, but I can say what we did. So I, I feel that we're trying to do too much and we're putting too much importance on too many things. When we were kids, we did none of this stuff. You just got up in the morning and just played and ran around and, you know, there's no early this and early that and... Um, and I, I think sometimes we are too too invested focusing on too many things that we're wanting our kids to excel at and the world is telling us to do that and our life becomes unhealthily focused on getting the kids to do all of these different things and excelling in them I don't think that's healthy, personally. I think it's not wrong to do lots of things and, and to the extent that you can and the kids want to, but that overwhelming focus that people have, I think it's not... The kids are designed to, to enjoy their time, to play, to learn, but without it being as stressful... You know, so for us, we picked a few key things. Um, we prioritised swimming for safety, not not so that they could be Olympic swimmers. Because I've got this this anxiety about drowning. So oh, kids got to swim, kids got to swim, kids got to swim. You know, so for us that was an absolute must. Um, if they had a real interest in something, we would provide them with opportunities. But for us, having some quiet home time was really important. So if there are lots of things we couldn't do, we couldn't do them because to just kick back at home, have some relaxed mornings at home where we're not all on edge trying to get places. Um, for us, that, that, was really, yeah, that was really important. So, so we actually didn't do that much at all for the, for the kids when they are younger. And, that, and I think for us that was good because as they get older, the number of activities becomes, uh, compulsory activities become so intense that... I think I'd be totally burnt out if I started this 15 years ago. But that, but that, that was our approach anyway. Yeah. Thank you very much. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.